You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 9 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you. Two of the sport's most respected fighters stepped back into the octagon this weekend to compete for the welterweight title. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of USC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, pilot the points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings is even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Leafs keep rolling with a 3-1 win Monday night over the Vancouver Canucks. It was an interesting game because Vancouver had finally figured out what to do with the Leafs, and the Leafs, of course, going without Wayne Simmons, which we'll explore later on. But they kept the Leafs to the outside and boxed in the neutral zone, and it took the Leafs a while to figure out what to do. In fact, it took a massive third-period rally, 11 seconds apart, two goals for the Leafs to take this game 3-1 over Vancouver. The other games were blowouts, 5-1, the Leafs won at 7-3. But this is important to notice because... Wayne Simmons was not in the Leafs lineup on Monday night. He has a broken wrist and will be out six weeks, which is approximately 20 games. It may be actually more. And in a 56-game schedule, that's a significant loss. It's a significant loss because there were moments in the Monday night game where there were physical ability, or physical moments that uh, Vancouver took advantage of the Leafs and there was no response because Simmons wasn't there. There was a hit on uh, Morgan Riley into the boards, no retribution. And there was some, uh, I guess, some uh, clutter in front of Freddie Anderson that may or may not have happened with Wayne Simmons in the lineup. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because against Montreal, which is where the Leafs go next for two games, that's going to be a factor. Shea Weber and Wayne Simmons got to know each other in game one that started the season, and I was looking forward to seeing that. Now we're going to have to wait a while to see it happen again. So 3-1, the Leafs win. They are on fire. They are, let's do some quick math here, 7-0-1 in their last eight games. Austin Matthews is on fire in his last eight games, and we'll explain that later on when we hand out the Yes Guy, No Guy awards to wrap up episode nine. I again want to thank the PA announcer, Mike Ross, for setting us up the nice intro to start this podcast. And we'll hear from Mike with one minute left in the podcast later on. Let me set up the guest. Bill Waters, the regular Tuesday guest, is here. He's the former Leafs assistant general manager. You will enjoy his conversation. You'll be thrilled with Eric Thomas. Who is Eric Thomas? Eric Thomas is a lifelong friend, Maple Leaf broadcaster in the mid-80s, did the play-by-play 
and it almost did it regularly, but branched into uh, auto racing. He uh, is the uh, host and creator of Raceline Radio and does a very successful job there, but has some great stories, does some great impressions. You will enjoy that. Let's go to door number one. Here is former Leafs assistant general manager Bill Waters. All right, so three straight over uh, Vancouver, and uh, the last one, the Monday night game, was a bit of a struggle. Uh, if it wasn't for 20 seconds of play, they might still be playing. Uh, you know, Vancouver made a lot of adjustments, but the Leafs really just struggled, didn't they? Yeah, they, they couldn't overcome. I think Vancouver tried to center ice lock on them, and they were they were blocking their entry into the offensive zone. So they weren't getting any speed, and they weren't playing like they normally play until the beginning of the third when Keith changed the lines and the first shift, uh, the first line that he had changed, uh, Tavares, uh, almost scored twice. So you could see that something was going to happen, and, and the dominance of the third period, they juxtaposed against the complete unbelievability that the Toronto Maple Leafs could only get seven shots in two periods was confusing to a lot of the fans, I'm sure. I know it was confusing to me. I laid it off on the lack of presence of Wayne Simmons, which I think is doing Wayne a magnificent favor, but he's still a very big part of that team, if not anything more than psychologically. Well, I would agree with you. I think there was a hit on uh, Riley into the boards, and there was some stuff in front of Freddie Anderson that, that would have been uh, there would have been payback if Wayne Simmons was, was on the roster last night, and, and uh, it didn't happen. So they knew what they could get away with, didn't they? They sure did, and uh, they played the game the way they had to. And keep in mind, uh, they had uh, memories of the fight between Simmons and Ben on Saturday night. That was a nasty piece of work. And uh, they say, he's not here. Let's get at him. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I guess, you know, you could look at the – we always do the the analysis knowing what the end result is. But you go to the game, it's one nothing for the Leafs until midway point of the second period and that stuff you're talking about adjusting the lines in the third period. I think people that watch games uh, struggle with the fact that the adjustment almost comes too late. Why is that? I don't know. I, I suppose he's trying to uh, keep everyone happy. Uh, once you adjust lines, you look at the guys that are being adjusted. The centermen remain constant. So it's usually one winger. And I think the way he coaches, he, he doesn't want to offend the one winger. He's making change for the sake of change because what he's got going right now is nothing. And when you've got an $11 million hockey player who can't do it on his own, you've got a guy that's grossly overpaid by double. Yeah, it's um, and and then you get into the discussion about the, uh, the, the lineup of seven defensemen and 11 forwards, which... I am not a fan of, uh, and never will be. How about how about you? Well, I'm not either. But you know what was fun was watching Sundin get a chance and Bing Bang Booey. There's a call. Sundin yeah. moves it down the wall. He passes it to Marner, and it's in the net. Now they spent the whole two periods never pulled that off once. But what the coach has to say is, listen, obviously uh, Sundin is not. Um, or is it Sandine? Sandine. 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 Yeah, Sandine is not uh, an, a defensive genius, but 
but he is a catalyst offensively. You have to weigh that off uh, against, you know, getting stopped in your own zone five on five and him defending. So it's not an easy decision to make. The kid isn't big enough to be a solid defensive defenseman, but he's got a great set of hands and a great offensive mind, which puts him in a group of maybe one uh, of the other defensemen. And that's, that's what they're faced with. And it's, uh, Retrospectively, uh, it's it's an easy analysis, but when they put him in for the third, he he, he did what he was supposed to do, and I I'd like to see him play more. I'd like to see a young guy like that get fitted into somewhere in the lineup so that he can play with the group of six defensemen that they've never had there before. Yeah, I, I sort of you know again, it's all you know you can look back on it and, and you judge it a different way. I mean, he only played five minutes. And, and, you know, my attitude on it is I understand that he has to play because, you know, we're in uncharted waters here. I mean, you could lose five guys in a week and uh, through through uh, pandemic reasons, so everybody has to be ready. I just don't know why he has to be babied into the lineup. And I know that he hasn't played in a long time, but you know what? Sooner or later, they're going to have to play Hutch and goal, and he hasn't played in a while either. So what do you do with him? You play him for a period and pull him out? No, you're going to play him the whole game. So I don't know why you just don't throw the kid in. Well, you know, the same principle applies, Jim. They practice, and granted, they don't practice as much with the scheduling as it is. But if you've got Sandine practicing and you've got Hutchison practicing, you get a pretty good glimpse of what their game's going to be like, notwithstanding good fortune. And I'm with you. I, I, I just think that a 20-year-old defenseman who played as much of last year's season as anybody did should be in the lineup. And he should be in the lineup for developmental reasons. Now, having said that, if you blow five or six games because he's in the lineup, and you might, then you put yourself in a precarious position uh, in the Scotiabank division. Right now, they're riding the big white horse out front, and I think they want to fill in as much as they can when they've got the chance. So I'm not questioning the strategy, but if I was the general manager, I'd be talking to my coach. Well, then, you know, I guess the, the Simmons injury, there's never good timing for that. I mean, six weeks is 20 games. That That's significant. And it, the timing yeah. of it just sucks because they're going into a home-and-home uh, home with Montreal. They started Montreal and finished off in Toronto. I mean, this was supposed to be sort of the acid test for, to who was better, and now they're going to be down a, a, a pretty key element. Well, it's going to be a different hockey game without him against Montreal. Montreal will take take advantage of their obvious physicality advantage. That's the, that's the way Montreal is going to beat you. They've got a nice combination of players who can defend themselves and their teammates and who can score goals. And uh, Josh Anderson stands out among that group. But there are others. They've got five or six guys. The Leafs have got one, and he's six weeks in the infirmary. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys on their way back. Thornton, Robertson, Dermott will be back faster. Campbell eventually back. I mean, you know, these are uh, a lot other teams are hit with COVID. The Leafs have legitimate injury problems, and they're going to have to find their way through it. Those are significant injuries, aren't they? Well, yeah, I think they were counting on uh, uh, the kid Robertson playing on the third or fourth line. I don't know that uh, that's so significant. Uh in the grand scheme of things, but in the development scheme of things, it would have been wonderful. And uh, Joey just uh, had some bad luck. And uh, when they get Thornton back, I think he can be, it can be as uh, 
solidifying force with that team. I think players look up to him like they do Spezza. And Spezza and Thornton can really, I think, contribute to that league team uh, when they're healthy. And Spezza's proven that over the past four or five weeks. Yeah, and, you know, the Campbell loss is, is huge um, in that, you know, Freddie was magnificent Monday night and, and has been really solid, uh, but he's played 11 games. I mean, I don't know that anybody thought that that was going to happen, but uh, there he is, and, and you cross your fingers, right? Well, yeah, I don't, like, I'm, I'm never worried about Freddie Anderson. Uh, if goaltending is Toronto's worry, then they've overlooked a number of others. I think that the goaltending of Freddie Anderson is – uh, top seven or eight in the league. He used to be top five, but uh, when they brought in all the gunners, they changed the game just a wee bit. But if you saw you saw him last night, he made a couple of Ken Bellers that were <laughs> Freddie's athleticism written all over them. So don't worry about your goaltender. Uh, just worry about the coach making the right decision as to whether it's Campbell, Hutchison, or somebody better than both. Well, you know, you said this a couple of weeks ago, that Montreal and Toronto are the class of the division, and, and there's nobody going to argue with you on that. When I watched Vancouver play for the three games I did, realizing, of course, they're on an eastern swing, which is the kiss of death for for, for a West Coast team. It, it's, it's just tough. Uh, there didn't seem to be much there for them. What, what's your read on Vancouver? Well, they're not getting a lot out of players they expected more from. And they certainly miss their goaltender, who's nestled nicely in Calgary. Uh, And whether or not, uh, I don't think that uh, they've got the wherewithal to replace him in entirety. Uh, But that's that's a significant factor because that guy wins games for you. And they haven't won any games of goaltending to date. They got the three big wins from Ottawa, which is uh, the feather in their cap. And that's why uh, there's a lot of... Uh, buzz going around the city of Vancouver. I wouldn't be surprised if the buzz centers around the general manager. I mean, he's so mishandled the, the contract negotiations that uh, he ended up standing when the last dance started. He couldn't find a chair. And he's, he's, he's lost. He lost a, a top three defenseman. Uh, he, he lost the, the forward, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Toffoli? Yeah, Toffoli, sure. Yeah. Just have to put the accent on the right syllable. Toffoli and that, those were big losses, and and you can't can't replace those guys. And he didn't. He didn't didn't sign a quality free agent other than uh, he got the guy from Las Vegas who has been nothing short of abysmal. So their defense is weak. Their goaltending is questionable. And their forward lines, when you compare them to the Leafs, are sparse. Um, I want to circle back to uh, three Leafs, the guys in the third line, um, just because I, I think that, you know, if they could find what they're capable of, this this could be a different story. Um, let's start with Alex Kerfoot, who scored Monday night. Um, he, his best game was the game he, he replaced Austin Matthews in, and uh, you know, you just you keep looking for the fit with this guy. What, what, what's your read on Alex Kerfoot? Well, I think you're going to play people with him uh, that can create opportunities for him. I think he has a good offensive skill set, and he always has. You know, he got 50, 60 points with Colorado playing on their third line or on their second. And so I, I think that uh, with the right accompaniment, 
he could be a significant third-line player. He kills penalties now uh, and uh, scores the odd goal. He's got to score a few more uh, as a third-liner. They play him on the second power play. I think they've tried to give him opportunity, and now it's up to him. I don't have any worries about Kerfoot. I just uh, hope that he, he starts to get the kind of production that he should have with the exposure that he has to time. Uh, his winger, Mikheyev, is, uh, every night, I mean, you notice this guy. He's got a nice stride, big wingspan, great shot, and hasn't scored. It's a mystery to me. Well, you saw him last year, Jimmy. So did I. Yeah. He started off scoring, and he'll start scoring again. I, I think you pointed him out and obviously uh, evaluate his skill set. He's, he's a great skater. He's got a great reach. Uh, he's got offensive skill sets. He just hasn't had any luck, and he's not the first player to go 12 or 14 games without a goal. But that explanation can only go so far. I, I think he'll start scoring, and uh, even if it means moving him up, if there's uh, an opening on one of the top uh, top two lines, I'd, I'd like to see him. I think he was second liner when he first started last year. Yeah, That helps. You get the chance, and you get the speed. And you get the anticipation, and he's quick. He's quick on the uh, uh, recovery, and uh, he's quick offensively if given the opportunity. And uh, that's a big factor, opportunity. Uh, the difference between the third and the second line is significant. Uh, the other guy on that line, Jimmy Vesey, who um, I think looked better the first couple of games, but um, sometimes you have to sort of search for him. And I, I would expect that he's searching for his role. What do you think? No, he's not searching. There's nothing there. Jimmy VC was a great college player. He, he uh, met, handled himself around the NHL from Nashville to Buffalo to finally where he wanted to be in New York. He did absolutely nothing. He went back to uh, wherever he went last year. Was he back in Buffalo? Buffalo. Yeah, after rejecting his signing bonus, etc., and did nothing. He came to Toronto. Now, why would he come to Toronto? Very simple. His father is a scout here. And it was a judgment made on something other than what this guy could do for the Maple Leafs. And as soon as uh, Dubas admits that, then he'll put somebody else in there. But in the meantime, we're stuck with Jimmy Vesey. Jimmy Vesey is Jimmy Vesey for the last four years, and he's a carbon copy of it playing for the Leafs. Get him off the ice. Two games against Montreal this week. What do you think? How do you think this plays out? Well, I think the uh, game Wednesday night is the TSN turning point. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Leafs handle this without Simmons. Because if I know Julian, he's going, to, he's going to put the dogs out. And if the Leafs can withstand it and can play their game, and, and I don't say I don't think they're going to dominate the Canadians. But the point is, if they win one or two, they're still in the hunt without without their without their guy Simmons, and, and I really think he's a big part of gluing that team together. And so I'll be interested to see. I, I don't think there's going to be a sweep unless the Leafs' loss of Simmons is more significant than it should be. They just have to play the game the way they play at best, and don't take two periods figuring out that they're in the wrong mode here. Let's let's get our game going. I mean, this is the great, the strongest offensive team in hockey. They should be able to set their pattern. And by not doing so, they're showing 
lethargy, laziness, and stuff that shouldn't be a part of a group of superstars that they have all earning in excess of $11 million. I hate to mention the money, but you've got to mention it because that's what they paid them for, play in big games. And I, I, I still think they will. I think they've matured a lot. As I said to you on last week's show, Jim, they've become a much better team. Uh, with the presence of Simmons, I think that made it a little easier. Now it's going to be a little harder. So uh, I, I, I don't see the team going anywhere but staying where they are. And Montreal, Montreal uh, could close the gap. Uh, but I, I, Montreal and Toronto should win the President's Trophy, one or the other. And the other will be second. So well, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, – now it's uh, only eight games left, but uh, games all to look forward to, and the first one is Wednesday. Well, nine, including Wednesday, because they played them ten times, right? So, um, oh, they played them ten. I slipped yeah, one, yeah. yeah. No, no, um, I knew they played one. I thought it was nine. No, yeah. you're right. They played them ten. Yeah. So, so they nine left in uh, Wednesday night. But I, I think the way Vancouver played the Leafs on Monday night is exactly how Montreal is going to play the Leafs for all 60 minutes, isn't it? I would say for all nine games. Yeah. You, yeah, you know how Montreal, pretty, Montreal is a pretty consistent team when they're playing with their backs to the wall. In other words, they're not allowed to free uh, to freeload and do, do, do what they want. They have to play the Claude Julian Four lines of hockey, jump the boards when I tell you to change, and you do what you're told. And that's why Montreal wins. And if they make a mistake, they got solid goaltending, and I think their defense has become one of the best in the league. Strong, physical, mobile. Bergevin has done a nice job filling the holes on that team. And as much as I can recall, wondering why he kept his job uh, and knowing full well that he's universally accepted as a good guy in hockey and a smart guy in hockey. And he's been able to show his, show his skills managerially. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm happy for, for, for Bergevin, and, and uh, uh, it's a great matchup for the Leafs. I just, I, I wouldn't want to predict. I, I, if I was to predict now, Jim, I would call it 5-5. Five, five. Split of five. That's yeah. the, that's how evenly matched they are. But the first telling tale will be the first away game, which is Wednesday night. Yeah. At least yeah. have played pretty consistently well, notwithstanding two periods against Vancouver. I mean they they've been they've been they've been a part of the success that uh, uh, not notwithstanding the people like the, the division they're in. But you can't keep saying that because the other divisions aren't that strong either. The Leafs have uh, the Leafs have got an opportunity in the in the uh, sports bank division to make hay and and uh, more power to them. Well, I just you know when I go back to that first game, which was the first game of the year, what I liked yeah. was how Simmons got uh, got at uh, Weber because I mean Shea Weber is such a I mean, he's, he's like Wayne Simmons. He has this 10-foot aura around him, and if you're going to step inside that, that 10-foot little space, you're going to pay the price. And Simmons was able to answer yeah. that with Weber. So without Simmons, this could be a significant loss in these games. Oh, I agree. And, and they'll take advantage. And so they should, because they know, generally speaking, the Leafs are a soft 
highly skilled team. And you tell me what you would take from that group that would make them other than soft. Just name one player for me. Yeah. Other than Jimmy. Yeah, no, there isn't. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and we'd have to review the sheet again. Yeah. But the fact remains around it. And Simmons is the guy, and he's a very valuable part of that team uh, having a personality of toughness. And I, I don't care how good you are or how highly skilled you are, you have to have a personality of toughness. You defend your teammates, you defend yourself. The Leafs haven't had either until they got Wayne Simmons. Well, and I'll tell you what I like about him. Billy, and I didn't realize this. You know, sometimes when you're you're not covering the, the the team and you just watch a guy play, you don't realize it. But when he's on the team, you're covering. You see it automatically. Uh, his truculence, his his roughness, is natural. He just brings that on the ice. He doesn't have to go out of his way. He has this respect, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And and that's just who he is. He's not a guy trying to make a name for himself with a fight. That's just his no, game. No, no, no. Yeah, that's just his game. No, I, 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 don't get me wrong, Jim. Yeah. Let 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 the dancers dance. Yeah. And the sluggers, they just do line dancing. And you don't need more than one. I look what it, and so I don't expect any of the highly skilled players to do anything other than play the game of puck possession because they have the skill to maintain that and put the puck in the net so they can win games. They don't, have, and and they should be comfortable playing. Wayne Simmons makes it comfortable for all of those players that play with him to play their game, and they're not being chippy. I don't, I, I don't see the Leafs as being a bunch of kids that uh, uh, can't handle themselves, so they go around playing tough. They do not play a, a, a dirty brand of hockey. They play the game, and they play it hard and with a great deal of skill. But if somebody hits them and hurts them, there is now a retaliatory point. He's gone for six weeks. This is a real challenge for the other 23. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's 20 games, uh, six weeks on the dot, and, you know, for a wrist injury, it might take longer, so they have a challenge. Bill, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Okay, Jimbo. See you next week. Now we proceed down the hall to door number two and Eric Thomas, former play-by-play voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, Eric, take us back into the, the wild 80s, the broadcast booth for the Leafs. What can you tell us? Well, it, it was a, a, a career-long love of mine, other than the auto racing gig, obviously. I had uh, I had been a, a hockey fan forever, and I started in, in Niagara Falls at CJRN doing the Niagara Falls Flyers games, and I worked under Rick Jenneret, of course, as the legendary voice of the Sabres, and, and he and I are still very good friends, but Rick showed me the ropes on play-by-play. I always wanted to do that, so I did um, the, the the Niagara Falls Flyers games with Reg Quinn as long as the team was in Niagara Falls, and once he moved it, I, I didn't make the move. And then, uh, you know, just did various things, did sports and did what have you, and uh, did sports in, in Toronto and did a lot of news as well. And then in the 80s, when I came back from Calgary, I got a chance to do um, the Leafs on television. I, I was in the running for the radio uh, gig for a while. The television thing came around, and uh, I did midweek games in the uh, in the mid '80s um, on CHCH TV, and then on Global for a season and a half. And that was a that was a gas. I got to work with 
with Harry Neal and Scotty Bowman. And of course, Scotty scared the crap out of me because here's this guy, the big jaw, who'd won all those Stanley Cups with the Canadians and invincible teams with the Canadians. And this guy looking like he's going to kill you standing behind the bench. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And he was a, a tremendous hockey guy. We used to sit there and talk for hours about the game. And I learned a lot. I mean, it was, it was, it came quickly. It ended quickly. But there's a lot of parallels between doing play-by-play -play hockey and doing auto racing because I did not only doing the radio show, I did a lot of track announcing and television as well, you know, working in the States and doing things. You're still working with fast-moving objects with numbers on them. So there's a great there's a great yeah. parallel there. And, and I, I, I even had some guys say, I, I heard you doing the, the Lee Sabres game the other day, and I heard you use some of that that dirt track vernacular racing terms that you sometimes use every once in a while. But but Harry was was excellent and Scotty was excellent. We had we had an awful lot of fun with it and, uh, you know, got to do, you know, the Maple Leafs, which I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard lifelong Leaf fan, always have been. But I also like Montreal, too. And that's kind of odd. But anyway, uh, just a, an awful lot of fun. Got a, a chance to do some voices every once in a while. And they even got me to uh, hello, Canada and Foster Hewitt doing the Leafs and the Red Wings. And now here's uh, here, uh, court no scores. And, and, and some people. Some people, Jimmer, got upset yeah. with me because I was imitating a guy who wasn't on the earth anymore. Well, believe it or not, believe it or he not. is sacred. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. No, and then, of course, Danny Gallivan here from the Montreal Forum, Toronto, too. And the Canadians won. Dick Irvin has fallen through a hole here in the bottom of the gun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, still gabbling those things once, a, once in a while, but uh, having, just having fun with that, doing some commercials, did a little bit of a little bit of TV work on uh, HBO Canada, played a, a, a talk radio host for a, a auto racing show that was on an HBO on the, uh, the transporter, did that for a while. And then it's all sort of culminated here. We're in our 29th year with Raceline Radio. We're on in all the major markets across the country. And thanks to some very loyal sponsors like Subaru Canada, General Tire, I'm, I'm plugging those guys. But they, uh, they, they put my sorry butt in the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame last winter. And I'm very honored with that, considering that, during the induction dinner, is a little story, and I'm rambling on, as I'm known to do. Uh, during the induction dinner, Mario Andretti was supposed to be the guest speaker, and the weather held him out, but he eventually showed up. Jimmer, he came across the floor to me hmm. and congratulated me wow. on my induction into the Hall of Fame. And, of course, he's in there as well, and so is Michael, and so is Nigel Mansell and Jackie Stewart and some of the biggest names in, in, in our game. And to be uh, in, enshrined in the same building and collection as those guys is is a tremendous honor. So it's, well, it's, it's been okay. And we're carrying on, as I say, season 29 and away we go. It's a little bit from what you asked about, but the hockey in the eighties, but I still follow it fervently and still watch it, still enjoy it. And uh, it's good to be on with you, lad. Really good to see you too. Oh, it's great to see you. We go Just back a, a number of years <laughs> through some, some incidents. <laughs> well, said, a, a few said, can't put on the air, Dick. No, I can't. <laughs> Now, when you do Danny Galvin, I, you know, I loved him as, as a kid listening to him. My and, hero. Uh, absolutely. And, and this was a guy like Mario Andretti, who, oh, yeah. uh, I, when I worked in Halifax, uh, he watched yes. my sportscast. And we were in the press box for the, the Voyagers. And he came up and introduced himself to me and told me about my sportscast. I fell over. That's the kind of guy he was. I had a nice compliment one time. Exactly. And, and, and Danny was like that. And, and. My buddy Howard Berger and I would interview him because we always do, always do play it at imitating him and we're interviewing and we're interviewing uh, uh, Danny Gallivan when Dick Irvin went into the Hall of Fame. He says, well, of course, Dick is an enormous individual, like is he huge, right? And Howie and I are interviewing him and we're going, 
I'm trying not to laugh. You know, but I got a, I got a lovely compliment when I was starting to do my hockey on, on Global and CH from Dick Irvin. And, and Dick said, I'm quite, uh, you know, it says, oh, you're the young man with all the fancy flowery phrases. I said, yeah, thanks. I says, <laughs> it was, it was good. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, Frank Selke also said, you know, Frank Selke Jr. said, quite enjoying your work, young man. I thought yes. that, was, I thought that was cool. That was cool. I had a number of conversations with Frank Selke Jr. I mean, you're talking really about hockey royalty. Scotty Bowman is, is remains just a fascinating individual because he has that aura that unapproachable aura and yet when you go up to him and ask him a hockey question you see that you know the, the walls come down he, he actually gets younger as he talks about hockey it's remarkable it really really is and and for you and i to have the privilege to talk to people like that you yeah. know the legends of, of of that sport and the legends of, of my sport with you know mario and dreading when chris economaki was alive you know, just be able to talk, and Richard Petty, to talk, be able to talk to those guys. Our sport is is pretty young as sports go. So a lot of those guys, you know, A.J. Foyt and Rick Mears and all those guys that we idolize over the years, you know, uh, to be able to talk to those guys. But Scotty w was was an, an amazing guy, and, and his, you know, is there a more winning coach in professional sport than that guy? I mean, just, just uh, amazing. But a really, really good dude who was a, a student of the, of the game. And I, I love to... We used to sit down over breakfast, and of course he could, he was fluent in French. And I said, when you when you inter, when you talk to the team in the in the dressing room in the locker room, I said, was it French or English? He says, when you talk to the team collectively, it's always in English. When you talk to individual players who spoke French, it was in French mm -hmm. back and forth. And of course, you go out to dinner with Scotty Bowman, even in Quebec City, and the waiters are oh, Mr. Bowman. Oh my God, you know, here we go. And they bring you all kinds of, here's a, here's a bottle of whatever and the table over there sent you this and that and the other thing, but to be able to run off of that. And Harry, Harry was good too. Harry was very, was very, very droll. You know, yes. I remember one time, I remember one time doing a, a game in the, the old Chicago stadium, you know, and we were in a little platform in the, right into the, in the crowd there, you know, how raucous that crowd could be. And yeah. somebody up above us had kicked a beer <laughs> over and the beer had come over and was pouring into the monitor that we had set up on, at our location and harry was here or the monitor he jabs me in the arm as i'm calling the game i look over and there's beer coming into the monitor i tell this to the truck we go to a commercial break we come back and, and i'm looking at the camera and saying and here's harry looking at the beer and i've got a cloth on his head and say harry it's a dangerous place this is a dangerous place he says yeah it is you got beer coming down on us just a lot of fun with those guys and they taught me an awful lot and i, I really enjoyed my it was a brief time but i i really enjoyed it. i still have some fans who mention that every once in a while it's always very flattering well take us into the gondola i mean you know you're doing the games from from maple leaf gardens so obviously not the original gondola no. but but you know take us through that uh, yeah, using um, the, the 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 yeah the gondola was that big main beam, long gone. Of course, Harold burned that thing. Which man, I don't know why he did that, but yeah, that was Harold. But it was the booth, and behind that, so you were further back, which it was a it was a good height up. And what I used to do too, when I was when I wasn't doing the games, I used to go right to the very back wall, and there was another platform position back there, and I would practice doing play by play. I didn't do all the games, obviously. I just did the midweek yeah. ones. So I used to stay back there and just bark play by play. But, you know, being up that high, you know, was was really kind of cool. Remembering the the old stories of you know George Raft, the, the guy who played all the gangster movies, didn't yeah. come across that catwalk with Foster to go on the air because he was too scared of being 
of being uh, too high up. And of course, yeah, if you fell out, man, you're playing left wing the hard way. You know, it's, it's you know, you're, you're going to collaborate with the guys. But all the different locations, I think, you know, Chicago wasn't that high up. The Coliseum in Quebec was a great height. Buffalo, where we were located in Buffalo, right in the crowd, was perfect. I mean, you weren't that high up, but you could still see everything uh, and what have you. The worst, absolute worst, even though it's a storied building, it's not the original one, was Madison Square Garden in New York. You're so far back, you're so far down low, you're not square to the rink, you're kind of off into a corner, the lighting is dim, fives look like eights and eights look like nines, and you say, here come the Leafs and here come the Rangers a lot, because you can't tell what, what number they are with the, you know, as they're going up and down the ice, but yeah, it was, it was, it was an awful lot of fun to be able to travel and do the Leafs and do those games, and, you know, still a big, big part of, of my career that, you know, is, is, is well in excess of 45 years now in this business. I'm, I started when I was 19 and I'm almost 70 now. So until they drag me kicking and screaming, I'll, I'll be like Paul Harvey. I'll probably die at my station or pretty close to it. <laughs> I wonder if we can have a play-by-play -play of them pulling you out of your, the chair for the last time. <laughs> I'm not leaving here. Get your hands off me. I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, uh, the 80s with the lease was was dreadful. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the... It was it was amazing trying to make those games sound exciting when the team was nebulous. I mean, my gosh, they, yeah, it was it was that Herald era where it didn't matter what you put on the ice as long as the seats were filled and you had a full building and the the Carlton cash box was given all the dividend checks to all the shareholders and everything was happy and and the fans stuck with it for better or for worse. You know whether they were dumb to do that, who knows? But you had some families who had seasons tickets during that era who were. I'm not going to give them up because I know the minute I do, the team's going to get good and I'm going to miss and all of this. But yeah, it, it was, but you know what? You, you grew close to those guys, you know, and you know, guys like Eddie Olchek, I remember him was always a very, very kind guy, yeah. you yeah. know, who was, who came in, you know, even with, you know, with, with, you know, the brief time that Al Secord was there. And of course he had, he had Wendell there and Russ Cortnell and Gary Lehman, you know, Alan Bester in goal and Ken Reggett and those guys, that was the era that, that I called. And, uh, you know, those guys were out there chugging best they could, just couldn't get her done, you know, more often than not. But uh, as a matter of fact, in behind me here, you can't, I'm not going to move the computer because that's ridiculous. On the wall there, I have a, um, from the New York uh, Daily News, uh, a clipping from the newspaper of them, the Leafs playing the Islanders, which is the first game I called where they actually won the hockey yeah. game. How, how, how many games in was that? Well, a lot. I lost track. You know, it was, it, it's, it was, you know, you had to sort of understand. And I learned this a long time ago in the radio game, Jimmer, that, you know, no matter what the circumstance is, it better be entertaining because, you know, radio or sports or news or play-by-play -play hockey or doing race line radio or doing your pre and post game show that you do anything like that. You better be entertaining. Darn it. Be great or be gone. And you better entertain me no matter what's going on in the ice, even though the circus is lousy. You gotta, you gotta teach those people that you know the elephants you're looking at now are really good, but the ones coming out in a minute are the better ones than those ones. So you gotta, you gotta somehow make it entertaining, and and we certainly tried to do that. And you know the the, the latitude that we had with the producers and everybody, they they kept chirp, chirping in my ear about talking too much, and I I resented that after a while. But you know what, they were doing what they needed to do, and 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 I did what I needed to do, and it was fun while it lasted, and. Uh, Look at it this way. Everything happens for a reason. I don't have any bitterness over it at all. I look back at it very fondly. And as I say, if I was still doing that, I wouldn't be doing race line. And I think in the grand scheme of things, I think I'd rather be doing this than doing that. Yeah. And, you know, in our age group, I mean, there were only two voices. 
Bruce Foster, and of course Bill later, and Bill Danny Gallivan. That was the, those were the influences right there. Uh, exactly, and and I remember for years in the '60s watching the Leafs winning cups in the '60s. It was all Bill Hewitt. I I remember Foster doing it. Of course, Foster still did stuff on the radio after Bill took over on, on television. But I remember the first time hearing Danny Gallivan doing a game in Montreal, and I had never heard him before. And I went, "Well, this yes. is a, this is a different approach," <laughs> yeah. because here here's a guy who who wasn't afraid. He had a he had a very staccato style, but he, you know, he had that that way of moving it on to the left side. These fires it high and wide, and that's going to go over the glass into the spectators. You know, the clock here in Chicago is impossible to read. It has 92 hands on it. You can't, and of course, when the play stops, the light behind the clock goes out, Dick. You can't tell what it, you know. So, I mean, all of that, the way he described things, you know, a, a Stevensonian same in the cannonading drive. There is, and then he got. A, he says, "I got at that time. I, I used the word cannonading. I wanted to say cannon-like, but it came out cannonading." And I had a a lady who who was an English teacher sent me a letter and said, "Mr. Gallivan, there is no such word as cannonading." He said, "Madam, there is now. <laughs> there is now." Well, I, I, you know, I had the same experience. I used to love those games from the Montreal Forum because he was going to call them. And, and this is my theory on, on why I like certain rock groups and, and why I like anybody. You have to smile. I mean, it, you're selling sound. So if I'm smiling while I'm listening to you, you have me. Absolutely. Absolutely. He just had a, he just had a way of describing it and coming out with different different waves. They're holding for holding in the way, where is it says class? Like you can describe a scramble in the goal crease any way you want to, you know, a big scramble in the goal crease. But when, when Michelle Plass was playing goal for Montreal, he would say, where is it says Plass? I mean, yeah. okay. What a <laughs> neat way to describe that. Yeah. And I think the puck may have hit him in the nether regions, Dick, you know, I mean, <laughs> wow. But what an imagine. And the funny thing was, that when they started to institute the more modern equipment, because for years, and the way he learned and the way I learned in junior was that you had a handheld mic right. and you held it up to your mic and, and you followed the play back and forth. They went to headset mics like you mm -hmm. have on your yes. head right now. Right. And he decided he didn't, they had that on because they needed to hear him, but he still had the handheld mic. It was a dummy. And yes. he had his hand over his ear and he got <laughs> and he did because he was used to that. And that's the way he described that thing. And then the other thing, so, okay, when you have a meeting, a, a production meeting, uh, an hour and a half before puck drop, why do I need to be in the building an hour and a half? I know the players and everything. Why do, Danny, you need to know. And he never he didn't show up for those meetings <laughs> until the last minute. You're not going to tell Danny you can't do that. And then yeah. sadly, he, uh, he had some vision problems and he was doing the Washington Capitals at the time. And and he retired. His brother was a was a high up in the Catholic Church. His brother was a Monsignor mm. at one time. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to 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 know him a great deal, Danny. But man, he was a he was a guy that to me. And I mean, Bill Hewitt was excellent, and Foster was excellent. There's a lot of really good guys around the league. I mentioned, you know, Rick Jenneret and, yes. uh, and a few other guys. And uh, there's lots of other great play by play guys. But Danny was the the guy that originated that idea that you could be descriptive and you could be entertaining and you could entertain me with words. And then he got in there with, with Dick Irvin and isn't, you know, he, he has an encyclopedia mind and knows all those stats and could go back and, and describe things. 
You know, LaFleur with that wild mane flapping in the wind, streaking down that side, you know, just the, the way he described things and Dick Irvin in the, in the booth, those guys were, those guys were, were, uh, were gods to me, you know, and uh, got a chance to meet those and work in that, uh, that genre for a little while. Okay, so I'm going to throw a real dated reference at you, and this is the humor that I got out of out of Dick and Danny. I, I used to call them Peabody and Sherman. Do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it was the same kind of chemistry. Peabody and Sherman. Oh my god. <laughs> well, uh, so all these years later, you still watch the Leafs. You're, you're still enthralled, right? Oh yeah, yeah, still enthralled. I mean, it's a, it, it's amazing to watch the skill set uh, on on this team. You know, Matthews and, and Marner, um, Nylander, Every once in a while, strikes me as being a guy who kind of only plays when he wants to, but that may be unfair. But I mean, there's an amazing amount of skill with what Simmons has brought to this team. It's too bad he's hurt, you know, bringing Jumbo in there. that pointed in the right direction. The one thing that they lack, and it may be simply because of their their age and lack of maturity, they're more mature this year. The Boston series recently was a winnable series that let them up off the mat twice, is to have that killer instinct, is to put your foot on their throat until they say uncle. And the least in that, that was a winnable series. They let them off the mat twice, and they did it at home. They could beat the Bruins in Boston, but they couldn't do it on home ice, and they let them off the mat twice. The lack of what I call, and it could be it could be a crude term, I don't know, but I always learned it as the killer instinct. Finish it off. They have the skill to do that. Matthews is getting better. Marner is getting better. The team has more cohesion. They've made some nice moves on defense, and you know, we'll see what happens in the, with the goaltending, Freddie will pull off some amazing saves and let a couple of beach balls in that, you know, and, and will he be able to take them deeper into playoff rounds uh, remains to be seen as he the goaltender of the future. I don't know, but I, I, I need, there's a lot of skill there. My biggest fear is, will they be able to hang on to guys like Matthews and Marner in right. the future? There's just some American. I mean, let's remember, and you know, Matthews, cause he plays for the Leafs. He's an American. Yeah. And not to say that he's not uh, allied to the Leafs and is loyal, he is. But if some bigger market throws millions and millions of those those guys, my fear is that this market won't be able to sustain them and keep them there. I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see them stay there and mature. You know, I think they've got the skill on this team as close as they can get to a Stanley Cup as they did since the upset win in '67 when they still had Armstrong and Keon and Bon and 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 you know and the the Hillmans and and Terry Sawchuk and Johnny Barr. But they've got the skill set on that team now to do some great things if they are allowed to mature and if they can somehow instill that killer instinct. Finish them off. You had them. You had them. Knockout punch. Get them down. Hold them down. They're done. Count them out. You're done. Don't let them off the mat. Don't do that. And you can win yourself a Stanley Cup. I think they've got the basic skill right now to get as close as they've ever been since the 60s. Now, normally I wouldn't do this to a guest, but I know you're capable. (laughs) I wonder wonder if Foster Hewitt... And Danny Gallivan could call a current Leafs situation. If you could come up with a play-by-play, you start with Foster and end with Danny. I wonder if that could happen. Well, here, here's the Leafs coming down now, Matthews, with that, that hard shot. No, no, I'll tell you what, Foster, it's a cannonading shot. He gets in the way, so don't interrupt me. Don't interrupt me. You're a Montreal guy. Don't. Now, here's... Here, Marner in front, he scores. 
Oh, Foster, you can do much better than that. You can do much better than that. Ready? <laughs> anyway, I'm running out of ideas. So there it is. You know? <laughs> that was fantastic. Eric, Eric thanks very much. I haven't much. done those guys for a long time, <laughs> no. Well, I Holy put you crap. on the spot. I, I, come on, that was excellent. Everybody is just, they're on the floor laughing. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they are. I can see them. <laughs> thanks a lot, buddy. Listen, I knew this would be a lot of fun you get me on, man. This is, it's, it's a lot, you and I have been friends a long time. We laugh, yeah. you know, and if we can't laugh at some of the stuff that goes on in our sporting, either in hockey or in auto racing, we might as well pack it in because, you, you know, it, you got to look at the fun side. It's, I mean, my sport is serious enough. you got to make jokes about it. Otherwise, you go nuts. And same thing with hockey as well. So many great people, great characters. You're part of that, my friend. A longtime buddy of mine. And thank you so much for this opportunity to be on with you. It's been a gas. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope to have you back. Take care, buddy. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right. Thank you, Mike Ross. One minute to go, so let's do this look at his split. Yes, Guy Awards. Dustin Matthews has scored a goal in his last eight games. He scored 10 goals in his last eight games, has 11 on the season. Yes, Guy Award to Mitch Marner, who keeps his point-scoring streak alive as well. The ultimate yes guy to Freddie Anderson. Are you kidding the Leafs were massively outshot on Monday night. In fact, I'm just going to go through the totals here. They were outshot 27 to 7 after two periods of play, and the score was tied at one. Freddie in that game stopped 31 of 32, and was the reason why the Leafs were able to continue their winning ways. Freddie Anderson, an absolute yes guy, a no guy to the configuration of 11 forwards and seven defensemen, and a yes guy comes out of that to Coach Sheldon Keefe, who admitted it was a mistake at the end of the game which is, most coaches won't do that. So, yes guy to Sheldon Keefe, no guy to the 11-7 setup or 7-11 setup, if you will, that just didn't seem to work. Sandine in that game, as we mentioned earlier, played only five minutes, and they were trying to use him in situations where there was an offensive zone faceoff, and, and it did pay off on the Matthews goal. He got an assist, distributed the puck off. The Matthews faceoff went over to Marner. Marner across to Matthews, and boom, in it went. So, I mean, the kid has offensive upside. There's no question about it, but it had to be spotted. And because of the game situation, could only get in for that amount of time. Well, we're out of time. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed Episode 9, and I hope you come back later this week, Friday, for Episode 10.